Our guest today on CXO Talk came to me, he was introduced to me by somebody. I thought, what an interesting person, because he is a CIO at a, a very large insurance company, very old company that's undergoing its own change. And he also wrote a book about IT and about projects and about transformation in general. And I thought, wow, he's an interesting guy. And so that is our show for today, transformation and something called flow, which our guest will explain. I'm Michael Kriegsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk, and we're live with episode number 303. Before we continue, I want you to subscribe on YouTube right this minute. Please subscribe on YouTube. I'm really thrilled to, uh, to introduce Finn Goulding, who is a CIO at Aviva. Finn Goulding, welcome to CXO Talk. It's your first time here, and I'm delighted to welcome you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to this. So, Finn, please tell us about Aviva and tell us about your work. Well, as you said, uh, we're an insurance company, uh, a very large global company, and um, we have the sort of uh, you know, standard product offerings in the general insurance space, life and health, um, probably around 30 plus million customers worldwide, and we're in quite a number of countries. Um, and it's, uh, it's a huge uh, organization, as you say, that's can trace its roots back 320 years ago to uh, its original start. And it's obviously merged and changed in all those years. And um, I'm international CIO, so I look after uh, the technology teams across uh, Europe, uh, stretching out to India, but also and I'm based in Ireland where the majority of my closer team is I work with. So Finn, in, an organization that is 320 years old, how do you how do you manage the change? Obviously, it's it's still in business, which means it's doing something right, and it has to have evolved over all of this time. And so, how do you manage the change? And by the way, is that what we would call uh, today digital transformation? That's an interesting yeah uh, interesting phrase because I, I've met lots of people that I I ask them what do they mean by digital transformation, and I don't get really a good answer that comes back to me. I think it's a way of um, a number of organizations saying they need to change, they need to adapt. There's, there's, there's um, threats in the marketplace. Maybe the business model is under threat. And we hear about disruptors, et cetera. So the way that we've approached things, and our, our CEO talks about it a lot, is to be a kind of a, a disruptor ourselves in the industry and working with uh, smaller organizations that we bring into our value chain. Um, but I would say for us, it's about changing and improving and uh, getting a better focus on customers and better outcomes for customers. And that can mean changing technology, offering more solutions which are online or whatever it happens to be. But it's not, I think it's that word digital is the bit that kind of gets people a bit confused. I'd say we're all trying to improve our businesses. So it's really about business improvement and the digital part these days, of course, comes into play because that's one of, you know, the, the changing technology is one of the, the drivers of updating processes and training people and, and so forth. I'd say you're right. I'd say what happens is that um, a lot of people didn't have a, a digital capability, you know, in, in their large enterprises um, and actually put a focus on delivering digital solutions. But I think most of us now have them. It's just how do you actually improve those customer journeys 
to provide something that's valuable, that you serve your customers correctly. And you also grow at the same time as an organization. So all these channels come into play. It just happens to be that, that it gets stuck in that kind of digital world. But we do a lot of um, normal um, interactivity with our customers where we do have to have slick systems, which are in the background as well as in the foreground. So. Finn, at, whether at Aviva or other companies, uh, why is this notion of customer experience, or as you were saying, improving customer journeys, why is that so central to the concept of digital transformation, just in general? I just think that that's what customers uh, expect these days, is to have a frictionless way of working with you, um, an enjoyable experience, to be able to get information fast without having to go through maybe some older processes, et cetera. Um, and it's a ticket to play. If you don't have these capabilities, whether it be mobile, tablet, or online, um, you're really not going to get very far with today's customer base, basically. So because, it's, so, so because of the emphasis on the customer, that needs to be the focal point for transformation. And of course, a subset of transformation, therefore, is digital transformation. Exactly. I think a lot of organizations talk about getting close to their customers. They talk about putting the customer at the center of everything they do. But do they really do that is the question that I kind of posed and some of my colleagues as well, which is how do you actually get to a point where you're doing things which customers need and want and you're delivering value for them. Um, and part of that's not about the transformation from a technology point of view. It's about a mindset in making sure that you're actually putting together a portfolio of work which is appropriate. So it's not technical. It's that other, that other part, that the beginning of the funnel, shall we say. So let me, let me ask a, a kind of devil's advocate question for a second here. So you're talking about all of these non-technology things, and yet you're the CIO. And historically, the role of the CIO was to focus on tech, and yet we're having this discussion about not about customer experience. So what's going on with that? I think what's happening is that many organizations are adopting ways of working. And you may have, you know, a lot of the CIOs will know this, but maybe some of the other audience don't know about agile. And, and an agile way of working came from the technology world. So how do technologists work together to deliver solutions quickly, high quality, frictionless, and, and not using the old ways of working? Um, essentially, um, what's happening, and that's where I've kind of seen uh, something that needs to be adapted from this way of working, is to encompass your uh, your business, your leadership, your executives, um, even your customers into a more business agile way of working. So using some of the techniques that we use in the technology space, broadening that a little bit more, and getting uh, us an end-to-end -end solution, which is not just agile in the technology world, it's actually much wider. So now, what are the impediments to being able to adopt this kind of mindset inside an organization? And I know and you, that you, you wrote a book called Flow yeah. that addresses this point. So, so tell us about the impediments, and then we'll talk about how to address it. Yeah, I say some of the impediments, and this comes also from organizations which are adopting techniques to deliver software quickly like DevOps and things like that, which is where you're bringing teams together outside of the normal uh, structure of organizations and putting them together as holistic hybrid teams that have the responsibility to deliver things from an idea through to actually making something go live, should we say. But traditional organizations have uh, traditional structures and teams and traversing those teams 
horizontally can be difficult when you're implementing some of these techniques because you end up getting some inefficient handoffs or ways of delivering work that requires stops and starts as other teams get involved in the, in the process. So Flow was, was describing a way of making things go from you know, beginning to end in a nice, uh, you know, like without stopping and analyzing how work gets um, uh, brought into play, analyzing how the best way of operating is, looking at where the, the blocks are and where things are stopped and saying, is there a way of fixing this? And quite often it comes down to a process change or a, or a team member change or a structural change. And sometimes that can be difficult. So is this really mostly about process and handoffs? Is that the key focus? Well, I think when people talk about Agile, the one thing that they do actually uncover quite quickly is where the team gets stopped, where it's waiting for something, or there's a blockage, or someone needs to sign something off, or some other process needs to be completed. So no, Flow is more about, okay, how do we understand the best way of working and actually use a, a framework and also a, a little bit of culture, a little bit of philosophy in terms of what's the best way of doing this. Actually, following a rigid process or methodology is something that we don't recommend. We, we say that perhaps you can just you know, pivot around something or find another way of doing this uh, rather than getting totally blocked. And actually having a bit of fun because that's why I come to work. I want to have some fun. I don't want to be frustrated by things that don't work. I want to remind everybody that we're speaking with Finn Goulding, who is the CIO for International at a very, very large insurance company called Aviva in Europe. And right now there's a tweet chat happening using the hashtag CXOTalk. So please uh, join us and contribute your thoughts and feel free to ask questions of Finn. So, so Finn, uh, how do you maybe peel back the onion for us? Because it's, on the one hand, it sounds so simple, you know, okay, well, we're going to make sure everything flows and remove these blockage at interconnection points. And yet it's not quite that easy. No, I wish it was. No, it's about, um, it's about really getting people more socially um, uh, active in the way that we work. Um, but also uh, going right back to the source, which is customers, understanding customers, segmenting um, them and uh, providing solutions which fit their needs and getting things which are, are of a value right at the beginning. So the more valuable work that you're actually defining with, with a customer in mind and bringing it into uh, a process whereby you're actually then starting to determine what the priority is, it's like value in is value out, and that's the way we kind of look at it. But that first part around understanding are we actually serving the, the needs? Is our strategy fitting the needs of the people that are most important, which are our customers? Then as it comes, it comes into our world, can we get our executives and managers visualizing all that work, prioritizing that work, you know, feeding in things which are business as usual or regulatory or mandatory things as well, but making sure there's a, a sufficient amount of strategic work going on that's, that's important. And doing that, we use a, a series of visualizations like an adaptive portfolio of work that you can see on the wall and getting people involved. So getting executives out of their offices into a stand-up way of working and interacting with staff at all levels to, to actually shape the work that's going to be you know, built by the people that are at those ceremonies. 
How do you begin to introduce this into an organization? Yeah, it's tough. I, maybe I shouldn't tell you because there'll be some people watching this from my organization. You kind of sneakily have to start with some of these uh, stand-up ways of working, which does come from the agile world. So my management meeting used to be something that I would do once a month. Now it's 15 minutes a day using a very simple technique of, uh, of actually visualizing the work that we need to do and having a list of a backlog of things that we're doing, things which are done, and showing that um, visually amongst uh, you know, quite a, a wide range of people. So if you start using that with a leadership team, they kind of think, oh, well, this is agile. We just stand around and we make decisions based on post-it notes. But kind of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's deconstructing the work to a level that's actually you're starting to see progress. You're starting to see the done columns starting to fill up. So running your meetings in that way is the first part. The second is to visualize all the work that's happening in your company. What happens then is that you visualize everything and put them on cards and put them on the walls. You actually go, wow, we need a bigger wall. You know, there's so much going on. That, for me, is something that uh, I think a lot of uh, executives and senior leaders don't have any concept of the amount of work that people are doing. And it can really help by removing things which are not that important. And so, again, it's another visual technique. And that's the sort of beginning part, should we say. When you start introducing these techniques into an established company that's not doing this, what are the points of resistance that you tend to have to overcome? Yeah, you get some skepticism at first. I mean, I'm, I came prior to Aviva from a lot of dot-coms, 10 years in dot-coms, and different, different parts of the world, including the US and, and South America. And I was kind of used to it. But in, in a large organization, um, yeah, there is some skepticism. There's a need, for instance, to say have minutes or to have some formal process around um, you know, the, decisions that, the decisions that are being made. But uh, what's happened in our organization is some of our, our teams actually just take photos of these walls as a better record of what actually happened and what was decided rather than having some formal document that maybe people don't read as much, shall we say. And I think, by and large, a lot of people are very visual, and that's a good way of consuming information. We have an interesting question from Twitter. Arsalan Khan asks, uh, it's a little complicated question, so I'm going to read this slowly, but it's good. Uh, what do you think is the role of culture in terms of mundane business processes and archaic architecture that affects agile pursuit? So I think what he's asking is, is the role of culture in dealing with legacy processes and legacy enterprise architecture. It's a, it's a real tough one. I, I think that we, in terms of culture, we, we have to have people with right mindsets and getting a mindset shift is, is really quite tricky. I find that when you're working in this way of working, you're uh, actually interacting with people more frequently, getting uh, faster feedback loops, etc. And so if your culture has an element of social behaviors within it, and it's a summation of all your values, um, and you're living it, you're actually actually believing in it, then I actually think it's it's a great way of energizing the staff that are around you. But there is a need in a large organization with some of that that process to to unlearn ways of working. I got that from uh, Barry O'Reilly, who's written a book called Unlearn, just come out recently. And it's how to unlearn the ways that we've always done things. We've always gone done these four hundred steps. Well, maybe we should just do these five steps, you know, and. The, the kind of legacy that we're talking about in terms of old systems, that's a reality. They're always going to be there. 
But what we want to do is is really empower people to have the ability to start chipping away at them and decommissioning them, simplifying them, and creating new platforms. So it's investing in people to do that. So it's yeah, it's not easy. It's, I must admit, but I think you have to uh, as a leader get in amongst your team, roll your sleeves up and do some work. And in my case, it's just removing blockers and helping people uh, to get the flow going. It's you, what, what still strikes me as pretty amazing is we're having this conversation, you're CIO, we're having this conversation that involves enterprise architecture, that involves uh, development processes, and yet where it's sort of boiling down to as you need to talk to the, you need to know what's going on and you need to talk to people. Yeah, you kind of want to um, have a way of working with your, you're pretty open and you take feedback in the moment, you give feedback in the moment, um, you're working with your team side by side, you're working on valuable work. Um, and it is, I, I think that's, you're absolutely right. I, I looked at um, this kind of like world of technology and digital transformation and suddenly realize actually what we need is a cultural transformation. We need to have people who are engaged and happy. We need to move people on that are not, the people that want to actually stop you from being successful. I mean, you know, why not get them to do the best work of their career in another place where they will be successful? They're maybe not happy with the journey that you're going on. So as a leader, you have to be much more in tune with people and making sure that you understand um, how to help them. Uh, and that's it's unusual. And in fact, in some organizations, if you're so far removed in a, in a boardroom or you know, sitting behind lots and lots of reports, you're not actually uh, working with people. It's very hard, I think, to, to evoke any cultural change unless you do that. So who's the, where should the, uh, the locus of responsibility or accountability or control, I'm not even sure the right word, where does it lie in the organization, given the fact that you're talking about uh, deeply technical topics like enterprise architecture, and yet the, at the same time, you're talking about profoundly non-technical topics such yeah. as culture change. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't throw away some of the traditional techniques of building a strategy or having alignment around what the important things are. Um, and the enterprise architecture is really, you know, uh, it should be your roadmap to where you're going. Um, and as a CIO, you need to understand what those, those big things are. Um, as far as teams are concerned, to, to, to actually give them the opportunity to, to work um, as a group that has no impediments, no inefficient handoffs, actually end-to-end, -end, is very invigorating and empowering. So you have these persistent teams that have the ability and the power to do work. You can shift mountains, but we teach them how to break that work down into smaller deliverables because we can't do these you know, mega projects anymore. It's much easier to do things step by step. Um, and I always say that CIOs don't build systems, you know, our, our people do. So if I can get our people engaged and happy, then they're going to do that work. You know? So fundamentally then there's a, a type of training in terms of how to uh, understand the goal, which is going to be embodied in your enterprise architecture, but then as far as the process of getting there to rethink the way that we go about that journey. Precisely. It's about um, moving away from project management offices to a degree to value management. Um, it's about um, doing things which are uh, of a priority and working with groups of people that 
um, are engaged and and are actually working towards a purpose in conjunction uh, with their counterparts in different parts of the organization. We try to not say business and technology. We try to say that we're all together as teams um, trying to achieve things. And that's a, that's trying to get away from those old-fashioned uh, handoffs and barriers between different groups. That, that kind of thinking is a little bit old-fashioned these days. It's a very interesting perspective that you're offering. At the same time, however, the reality is is that, sure, we're, we're all part of one team following one roadmap, but at the same time, the skills of uh, people working in, in marketing, accounting, finance, whatever it might be, are completely different than the skills that are required inside the technology development groups. And so therefore, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems yeah. that, that a lot of what you're talking about is how to, how, to, how to improve those interfaces. Because sure, we're part of one big team, but, but we have very distinct and different sets of needs on both sides. I mean, if, if, if you're in the same location working together, then that's, you really can be a team. You get to learn each other's skills and disciplines. But I've been kind of promoting recently um, in, my, in my talks um, how to work outside of your job description because I find that that is a limiting factor. There are many people that could do two things and we just seem to restrict them because you know, I've worked with startups where the CEO has been doing testing or the marketing uh, chief has been doing programming. You know, we kind of do get a little bit hung up on our, our job roles and we don't tend to sort of think actually, you know, we can roll our sleeves up and work together. And that's what small companies do. So trying to replicate that in big companies is by saying, right, we'll bring these persistent teams together and we'll blur the lines a little bit of the, of their, the job descriptions and get them to deliver outcomes. And if I need to do some work within that team that's not generally what I do, well, then do it. They do it to a level that somebody else can verify that it's okay. I get you. I'm not. I'm never going to be a marketing expert tomorrow. I can certainly help the marketing team with, um, you know, picking up some of the load. Okay, but this raises yet another layer of complexity. So you're saying people should wear multiple hats, basically do what needs to be done. Yet in many organizations, compensation is not tied to being a generalist. It's mm -hmm. tied to doing one thing really, really well. And so now you want me to become sort of looking out and taking responsibility and being part of that team spirit. Yeah. But that's going to cost me money because I can't focus on the thing that gets me my bonus. How do we handle that? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I didn't say that my ideas were fully accepted by everybody. I'm just saying that that's the way I feel it should be. Um, it's difficult because those kind of ways of, of, of um, rewarding and compensating people have been shown that they're not always effective. You know, I think there are more than just bonuses. I mean, I know that's important, but I do think that people do enjoy the, the outcomes that they deliver and doing something successful. That can be really rewarding um, in, in a different way. Um, so I, I don't know. I think the instruments that we use today are a little blunt and they'll need some form of what I call HR 2.0, you know, some, some new ways of working from people functions to understand is there a different way of, of compensating maybe the team in their efforts, not necessarily always individuals. And I'm coming to that more from looking and talking to more millennials, that millennials themselves are saying, you know, I, I want to be part of a team and I want to be rewarded as part of a team and not as a person just completely on my own. But it's thinking. It's not necessarily all necessarily, you know, nailed down. So, Yeah, well, you know, the thing is that these days, the, it's only possible to accomplish 
that kind of, this is what I think, uh, it's only possible to accomplish that kind of end user customer focus if you're breaking down the silos internally. And that means that the nature of the work, the nature of the leadership, the nature of the expectations that leaders hold of the people inside the organization, and definitely the nature of compensation also has to encourage the breaking, the sharing of information and the breaking down of solace. Because if you're not doing that, mm -hmm. you will never be able to transform, to present a holistic view to the customer of the business. It would be impossible, I think. Yeah, totally agree. And actually getting people that don't normally interact with customers, interacting with them is, is high on the agenda as well. Um, so they can see who they're serving and who they're working for. I do think that um, you're right. It's there, you know, I I cannot go into a big organization and say, right, you need to reorganize around you know this this way of working, but we can do it in certain areas and pockets to show as a as a lighthouse how it does work. Um, and maybe there is a way that you can actually traverse those 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 groups um, with people working together in terms of understanding that this is actually achieving a great result at quite a rapid pace. Um, but yeah, you're right. Those are the challenges. And I think things are definitely changing. And there's no such thing as a job for life anymore. We're talking about multiple trades, changing your professions throughout your, your working life, perhaps even working in a gig economy where you're working at a completely different level. And I think these are all things which are challenging traditional models. And we just need to be aware of it and see if we can actually uh, adapt to it. We, we have another interesting question from Twitter, which is, how does flow create value and how do you recognize that value? Which I guess, I guess gets right to the central point. Yeah, I mean, as I said before, if you're doing the correct work at the, the beginning of uh, the, the flow, which is that customer innovation, customer segmentation, getting all that information together, which is, you know, is our strategy being driven by the interests of the people that we're serving? That kind of beginning is where you've, you've actually cut out a lot of pet projects or maybe things that shouldn't get into the, into the stream. As you start to work uh, across from programs to projects to initiatives to deliverables, you know, these are things that you can actually attribute a value to. So this is a value in terms of if I build this feature, it will give me this return, or if I deliver this product, I'm going to get this return. And you have to think like that. Sometimes there is a value associated with even regulatory work because if you don't do it, you'll get a fine, for instance. So there is a way of doing this. And we, uh, in our organization, have kind of lent on some of the uh, lean software development techniques and some of the, the processes that you would get from value stream mapping and things like that, which I wouldn't want to go into all the detail right now, but that is a way of doing this for every single thing that you build. You should attribute some value. Otherwise, why are you doing it? So how do you measure that value? I think that's another really complicated point. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. So some of that's based upon, um, for instance, it's much easier in the digital world or in the product world where you can see whether you're actually um, getting more customer uh, you know, acquiring more customers or you're, you're delivering more value to, to them where they're buying these products and services. And you can measure those using traditional analytic techniques that the marketing folks that uh, we were talking about earlier on will be very keen to see that, yes, we have delivered this new thing and that there is a great uptake and we're able to um, prove it. And the other thing is that if you're not achieving it um, by you know, looking at those benefits as it's actually in, in live, you can quickly kill it. So you can say that well, actually we put this thing into, into into life. It hasn't made 
what we were looking for. Therefore, we, we should take it out and reduce technical debt. And it's a, it's a thing that's, that's not necessarily widely done is that you know, we actually are looking to see in a test and learn way um, that we're actually achieving the adoption for that particular service or product. So it's tricky, but the teams are doing it. And um, I'm not going to give away too many of the secrets in case our competition is watching. Uh, fair enough. Um, and we have yet another question from Twitter. And again, this is from Arsalan Khan says, customer feedback is important. But as Henry Ford said, if he asked the customer, wouldn't they just prefer having a faster horse? If he asked the customer, they would say, hey, I just want a faster horse. Yeah, yeah. And so how do you balance that? I think it's a great question. It is. Um, I mean, if you're not uh, taking the customer opinion into the way that you, you're actually uh, forming your work, um, then the chances of it actually landing and being successful is a, is a, is a bit hit and miss at times. So I, I do take the point that you wouldn't actually do necessarily um, everything, but at least you have to take that on board at the beginning of, of, of you know, your assignments and your work. But for us, there's also that feedback in the moment um, uh, where it's uh, picking up information coming back from social media, coming back from uh, contact centers, and distilling that down into an aggregate of the feedback. So it's not an individual customer, it's, it's coming from a wide range of customers. So if you're analyzing things and using dynamic segmentation, dynamic feedback, and dynamic analytics, you're able to see, oh, we can see that this thing is really popular and this thing isn't. Therefore, you'd emphasize that more than something else. So it's not necessarily I, I would talk to every individual customer one by one. It would be looking at groups. So looking at the aggregate of the data that you're collecting and then applying judgments about what makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. You have said that Agile is dead. <laughs> yeah. So what, is, what exactly, given that you're talking a lot about Agile, what does that mean, Agile is dead? Uh, well, it's, uh, you have to be controversial sometimes to get heard in this in this world. So what's happened is that from a technology perspective, when we talk about Agile, you often see it with a capital A, uh, almost like a product or a, a methodology that's quite, um, in some circumstances, can be quite restrictive and prescriptive. So um, the founding forefathers of, of Agile that actually wrote the manifesto are actually starting to say, hang on, this is not what we said. What we wanted to do was for uh, individuals to be agile, not to buy agile as a, as a kind of a solution. And that means um, sometimes, you know, pivoting quickly, changing, going down different paths and not necessarily following something that somebody else has put in place that you're going to need to do. So there's a, a big um, a movement amongst the community to say, let's go back to the principles of being agile um, working together, emphasizing the culture a little bit more, less of the tools and less of some of these uh, techniques, which are th then themselves are even 10, 15 years old as well, and they've kind of got stuck in the moment. So it's kind of, Agile's not dead, but what we need to do is, is reboot it and actually free it and actually give it a different way of uh, delivering, which is to encompass the business, is to encompass the wider uh, customers, and it's to use some of the more modern techniques. And we, we have another uh, comment from Twitter, a really good one, actually, again, from Donald. And Donald makes the point that cultural change requires leadership that develops uh, a, a genuine version. So I think he's, he's talking about, uh, well, I guess it raises the question, what, what do we mean by the right type of cultural change? And he also says, 
that team diversity should be encouraged at the same time. Yeah, yeah, team diversity is extremely important. In fact, I'm in charge of inclusion and diversity uh, here in Ireland. So that's that's one of my side jobs, and I, I really enjoy that. Um, yeah, the cultural thing is it's 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 easy to say, isn't it? Much harder to do. Um, I find that um, when people embark on uh, cultural transformation, they get very uh, transfixed on processes, um, you know, methodologies, um, even even values. Uh, they kind of miss this last bit, which is more, as I said earlier, about mindset and, and mindset shifts. Um, and what I try to do is I have this, this method of uh, meeting everybody in the organization. So every month I'm, or, or more, I meet 10 to 12 of our team at all levels. I just ask them, what is it that we're doing that frustrates you or what's stupid that we're doing? And the feedback is amazing. And, and a lot of it is just giving people that ability to talk. And you quite often hear in feedback surveys, I don't get the opportunity to give my feedback. So I think it's important that leaders meet with everybody in their organization at some point, plus uh, involve yourself in all the hiring. So, you know, you, you, one great way to change the, the culture is to hire the right people with the right fit in the first place and not leave that completely to other people that may not understand what you're actually looking for. So for me, that's one of the most important things is, is the front door. Yeah, and I think that gets also back to what we were talking about earlier is hire people that have a natural propensity and comfort with communication and sort of uh, wearing multiple hats to be sure that things are flowing, to use the title of your book, which also is related to the whole compensation. So basic, basically... Uh, talent, I guess, is the is the broader umbrella is a crucial, crucial part of this. Totally agree. And that to, to put a bit more clarity around that multiple hats thing, because it, it sounds a bit half baked, but it's not. It's there is actually a lot of studies around what they're calling T shaped people that have you know broad skills as well as as lighter skills, or pie shaped or even cone shaped. We have a number of specialisms that you're actually working towards. I think it's fun to be able to do that within an organization and not get stuck in one particular area all the time. It broadens your, your output. And in fact, I think most people that become, a, become CIOs have had to work in different parts of the organization, say, for instance, in, in networks or architecture or operations or security to get that rounded view. So why not everybody else do it um, and actually have a more enriching, meaningful job? Well, again, if we come back to the beginning of the conversation and the initial reference point that you established, which is in improving customer experience, customer journeys, customer delight, you have to want to do that or it's just not going to be possible. Yeah, I mean, therefore, if, if you're not wanting to do it, what are you doing? Why, what is it that's, that you're doing in your role? Um, maybe you're in the wrong place. Um, and I think that it's... It's fun to actually interact with with people that you're working for, you're serving in terms of customers. And I think, um, you know, we have uh, ways of bringing them into our organization, interacting with them, and um, even, in, you know, using um, techniques such as hackathons and hack days to involve them in that process as well. Um, but it's, you're right, it, it's not for everybody, but it's quite surprising when you get technicians who never get the chance to talk to customers who are involved in some ideation session or design sprint or design thinking that, that really see the cause and effect of what they do. And it's, that's what I think was quite, quite fun. 
Well, and, and certainly for any type of high-performing organization, they're going to be looking at the, adopting these kinds of approaches that we're describing, because I don't think it's possible to be a high-performing organization of, of any type today if you're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's happening is the, 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 the technique of visualizations um, using um, Kanban boards, which is a particular way of, of a grouping work together, um, having teams from different disciplines working uh, in the moment in the same location or via a video link or whatever on, on common projects is, is a way that we're seeing uh, driving more collaboration, getting better outcomes much faster, failing quickly. We don't fail in, in insurance, we pivot quickly. And, um, and there's a lot of that that goes on, which I find um, fun uh, in the way that we're trying to work. So not only is this improving the business, but I think it improves people that are working in the organization as well. And on the topic of improving the business, we have another question, which is how does Flow address the needs of the changing insurance industry? That's the industry in which you're operating. Yeah, I mean, for us, um, what you what you see in Flow is a, is a is a mixture of techniques, which are you know from a, a customer value segmentation, innovation point of view, to an adaptive portfolio of work, which is that kind of uh, value management. There are team methods in terms of using lean software development, Kanban techniques. There's continuous delivery and there's cloud. All these things linked together um, means that we are deconstructing projects to smaller parts delivering them quickly, seeing what works and what doesn't work. And then we can incorporate into our, our, our work um, new things that we need to address. For instance, let's say there's, a, a, I don't know, maybe some form of a disruptor and we want to address that and have our own product that's uh, going to be you know, challenging that. We will not have to sit in a big uh, you know, change process waiting for resources to become available in two years' time. That's just not the way it works anymore. We can uh, pivot fast, we can reprioritize, we can change things quickly, and we can actually insert into the flow new work that will address that, that issue if it's required. And you raise another very, very important point, which we haven't really discussed, which is this need for, for speed. Nowadays, the business partners simply demand greater speed, which again, cannot be accomplished with these tra with traditional projects and therefore creating the necessity to run an organization as you're describing. Yeah. No, as a, as a colleague once said to me, to scale, you need to descale. So to do things on a smaller basis, but it all assembles back like a mosaic into a picture that you can see. Um, for us, that speed has to be coupled with quality. Um, so therefore, automation is the key here. So I'm used to, from the dot-com world, uh, you know, 50-plus releases per day, you know, and large organizations and enterprises may still be working on monthly cycles or even, even slower than that in some cases. So using these techniques um, gets you to the point where you can actually deliver smaller things faster, but at the same time ensure that quality is there by incorporating um, a lot of automation and testing in the, in the pipeline of delivery. So bringing that in does require some of the newer technologies, but we are using it in some of our traditional legacy and mainframe systems as well. So using a lot of the stand-up techniques, visualization techniques, and some of the delivery techniques, even with those core systems, which have got an awful lot of value and history in them. And it's just how do you bring that out in a, in a faster way? And you're right, there is a big expectation, but... 
if you're working on the right things, close collaboration with your 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 business folks, um, you'll see that um, you'll actually end up working in a way that is is actually delivering exactly what they want. Finn, uh, we're we're just about out of time. So as we close out, what advice do you have to CIOs that are listening to this that says, yeah, this sounds great, but how do I, how do I start? What do I do? Cause I can't make, yeah. can't make it happen here. How do I, how do I make it happen here? It's always hard. We, we um, tend to uh, recommend starting with a, a lighthouse project, uh, something that's containable uh, that you can actually see as, as an internal experiment um, where you've put um, the, all the people together who need to deliver something without an inefficient handoff somewhere else and see the kind of before and after, how this was working before and now, how it's actually delivering right now. Um, a lot of it is around visualization and getting used to visualizations and putting stuff on the walls. Sometimes facility departments don't like that, but we put on the walls simple things like thank you walls. We have a wall where people just write, thank you for helping me today. And we'll change that once a month. we we'll clear it down and create a new one. We have... Um, visualizations which show all the history of things which were blockages in the past so we can learn from them. Um, all of our projects are visualized. Like I say, you use your, your, your management meeting, visualize your management meeting into that kind of simple to do, doing, done technique. Um, and you'll start to see visualization pop up everywhere. Then you know, if you want to use the adaptive portfolio and some of the segmentation that we've been talking about, that's a lot of that's in the book. Not that I'm trying to sell the book, by the way, but because we have actually on our website, we've, um, we've open sourced some of the diagrams and some of the techniques so you can actually see them. Um, and we're really sort of saying to people, try these things, you know, but not one size fits all. You would have to tweak it for your, your own organization. And I myself, people reach out to me on Twitter and LinkedIn, and I'm always happy to answer questions as much as I can and give people advice because I've kind of did this for the community. For, for the CIO community um, and for the betterment of the way that we work. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. We we hear, you know, the, the term digital transfer, the terms digital transformation, agile, DevOps have become these, these kind of, you know, what, like waving a flag. But I I when you when you got in touch, I, I was so thrilled because I think to drill down into the actual mechanics of how do you do this? How do you make these kinds of changes, which is precisely what Flo describes? I thought that would be very useful. And that's why I titled this show, The CIO Playbook. So Finn, thank you so much for taking your time and speaking with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We've been speaking on episode number 303 with Finn Goulding, who is the CIO for International at the very large insurance company called Aviva. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching right this second. Now is the time. Now is the time to subscribe on YouTube and check out all of our other amazing videos and go to cxotalk.com. We have a lot of content similar to this. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it, and I hope you have a, uh, a great day. Bye-bye.